Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all legal drinking ages, welcome back to Sensi Brewcast. I'm the Gnarly Gnome. Uh, this is a fun one. We're in studio. Uh, I don't get into the studio shows nearly as much as I would like to. It makes it way easier for me <laughs> just to be able to wander downstairs. I don't have to put pants on if I don't want to. It's great. <laughs> I have pants on, guys. It's okay. Um, welcome, guys. Um, you guys are both returning guests. Um, it's been a really long time, though. Like, uh, da, 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 four years. Almost almost to the date. Uh, yeah, 16. That's right. 3-7-2016 was the, uh, the last time you guys were on the show. Um, introduce yourselves so people can hear your voice and know who you are. I'm Doug Groth from Fairfield. Uh, from the beer collectible the queen city chapter of the brewery and a collectibles club of america there we go formerly known as the beer can collectors of i america. still want to call it that every yeah, time. I <laughs> and B- beer dave also from the queen city chapter of the brewery collectibles club of america a familiar is- voice for anybody who is in the uh the the beer scene i think <laughs> <laughs> um welcome guys we are going to talk about um, a whole lot of stuff here. We're going to talk about, obviously, collecting uh, um, anything and everything beer-related. But um, first, we need to uh, to do my favorite part. We need to drink some beer. And From the beer fridge. That's the name of the segment. <laughs> um, talk about what we're drinking here. We're, we started with uh, with some Gravely beer. Um, Gravely is out of, you said Louisville, is that right? Out of Louisville, yep. Um, I have never been down there. Um, honestly, this is my first time getting to try their beer. I've seen some of the uh, um, the stuff kind of coming through the TTB and stuff. I've seen their stuff. I just have never gotten my hands on any of it, so this is exciting. Um, we start with a Pilsner. Uh, sprockets? Sprockets, yeah. And Gravely is really a, a cool setup. It's in, uh, it's actually in the old Phoenix Hill Brewery, and the the building that they're using actually butts up against the entrance to one of the caves. Oh, cool! And their back patio sort of goes out and sort of there's a little bit of a, a shrine sort of that you can look back into the caves that go up into the into the hillside as you're coming. It's right along Baxter Avenue in the Highlands of of Louisville. If people know Louisville, that's cool. I you know. It, we spend a lot of time talking about some of that stuff existing here in Cincinnati, the loggering tunnels and all that stuff. And um, you forget sometimes that we're not the only ones that we're doing that. You know, there there is um, we might be a little different in, in, in how it all exists and what it looks like. But um, there's there's a lot of really cool history like that in other cities that we don't always um, appreciate here in Cincinnati. We get really caught up in, in who we are and what we're doing. This beer's great. Um, it uh, it's crisp and clean but it's got that really good like floral hoppy thing that that earthy thing that i like too yeah, going those on noble hops uh, it's 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 very true to the pilsner style they uh, they have absolutely mastered a lot of really good classic styles with what they're uh with what they're turning out and the sprockets is really a, a fun brand um their their history that one of the founders uh, he came up through the music industry so they, they tie in various uh uh, music themes to all of their beers and actually on some of the can graphics you'll be able to scan the qr code and it'll play the song that ties oh, in with cool. the band that's cool with the with the brand so kind of fun to do that that's cool uh they pick a song for each one of their beers that they, fretboard that they needs make. to uh to listen up to some of the stuff some of the cool things you can do to tie all that together um yeah that's pretty that's that's a good beer and we'll, we'll kind of drink through some of these as we as we work through the show um, let's just start simple. What, what exactly is the, uh, the BCCA? Like what, what is, what is the, the idea behind this? So the, the, the Brewery Collectibles Club of America, like we talked, it started out as the Beer Can Collectors of America, started out in April of, of, uh, 1970. So this is the 50th anniversary of the club and we're hosting our 50th convention in St. Louis this uh, September. And it's just amazing to me that my first convention I ever went to was in 1989 in Columbus, Ohio. And it's just amazing for me how the club has, has changed over the years from it was pretty much a can collecting club in 1989 when I joined it. And now when you go to the convention, probably at least a third, if not two-fifths of the room is absolutely all things uh, brewery on up. 
Which advertising be, and all kinds of things yeah, like that too. Coasters, signs, neons, bottle caps, you know, just anything and everything. And, uh, you know, the graphics on that advertising of the, the past, it's such a cool walk back and, there's some history. there's some really crazy stuff. So I was the last time I was down at uh, at Moorline, um, well, one of the last times. It wasn't actually the last time. It was a couple times ago. Um, I was sitting down there, and it was uh, Carl down there that that runs the shop right. was was showing me through the the binder of uh, all of the letterhead that he had from different breweries. And you look at some of that stuff, and it is just gorgeous. And like some of that stuff doesn't. I mean, it, it does exist in its own way now, but it's just so different now than it was then and like that stuff is so timeless and a lot of it just got destroyed or thrown away or whatever it was and like it's it's really neat to see the the people that are that are not just you know holding on to some of that stuff but you know getting it out there and sharing it and 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 and, you know exposing you know newer craft beer drinkers to this other side of stuff you know even if you think about the you know the bottle caps talk about bottle cap collecting how many beers are still in bottles now? Like it's the thing that's going away. Like, so many beers are getting moved into cans and like this, this idea of this branding on the top of a bottle is slowly fading away. And at some point it'll probably be pretty much gone. You know, like it's just, it's, it's neat to see that stuff around. Oh, and it's so, so much older. I mean, uh, when William Painter invented it, it was 1892. He went on to form the company crown cork and seal, because that's what he, he named them. They were crown corks. Right. Because, you know, they were metal pieces that had, had corks up inside of them. And then you would, you know, crimp the, the metal down around the, the bottle. And, and, and in 1905 was when that standardized neck of a bottle that we know today that, that when it became the standard instead of the blob top where you would shove a cork down in it, kind of right. like a wine bottle. He invented it to where it actually came around that rounded rim that we know in the pry-off bottle caps of today. And that's been around since 1905, you know, 115 years. Crazy. That's just crazy to think about that. But, uh, you know, that was an awesome invention there because then, you know, beer became portable. And if beer wouldn't have been portable, you, you know, we would still have some large breweries, but we would have mostly small little regional breweries because there there wasn't a means to take that product much more beyond the city limits. Well, and, and when we think of portability of beer now, you think of how easy it is to to fill a cooler and take it to, you know, the the beach or the park or whatever it is. This is a whole different side of things. The, the portability of actually getting beer across the country, something that we just completely take for granted now, at one time was a, a novel, new, incredible idea that it was possible. You know, portability meant something completely different than it does now. It's it's normal now. You know, it's it's crazy. We, we think nothing of going to Kroger and being able to get beers from, you know, Alaska, S- Seattle, upstate fresh, New York. Fresh from Alaska. Fresh, <laughs> you, you, you know, and we don't we, we don't think anything of it. You know, when you think about it, you know, when they had the, the refrigerated rail cars uh, of early, you know, they, they had blocks of ice cut and they were packed in there amongst the pallets of beer. And then straw or hay was shoved in there as well as an insulator so that those big blocks of ice would not be completely melted when it arrived to wherever it was headed. And, you know, when you think about, you know, and we didn't have forklifts as we know them today. (laughs) Manual labor back then was, you know, that's why you see those old pictures and people are missing fingers and (laughs) arms and they're in slings and everything and stuff because it was, it was dangerous and hard work. It was why part of your daily wages included beer. It was to kill the pain. (laughs) That's what you were doing. Exactly right. Uh, what is it about this idea of collecting this stuff that that gets both of you guys excited about it? I think it, there's probably different things for different people, but um, what is it about it that that makes oh, it interesting it's, it's, for you guys? It's everything. It's the thrill of the hunt. It's the camaraderie. It's the travel. It's the beer. Um, our club started in the seventies. And a lot of our members are in that 50 to 80-year-old range. But we're getting a lot of new members, guys in their 20s and 30s that are into the craft beers. Right. You know, some people used to collect thimbles, matchbooks, postcards. Our parents or my parents used to talk about 50s things, Coca-Cola, Elvis, 57 Chevys. Guys our age are into the 70s and 80s stuff. Schwinn bikes, baseball cards, mm-hmm. 70s cans. 
you know, a lot of people have the Super Bowl can from 83 or 89, or they have the 74 or 75 or 76 World Series cans. Right. But once you get that fever, you start to collect and maybe you try to alphabetize or maybe you just collect a can of a brewery <laughs> that you've been to. And then it just, I don't know, you just kind of get the fever. Like being a 12-year-old for the rest of your life. All right. Well, I mean, like we all kind of went through that phase as kids where you were collecting bottle caps that you would find on the street or, you know, cans or something like I think everybody went through that. There's some people that latched onto it and rolled with it. And there's some people that just, oh, you know, whatever. And then they, they kind of yeah, moved out of it. It's whatever you want it to be. You can collect just caps or just napkins or wax cups or cans or bought or Buriana or right. you name it. There people will collect hat pins, goes on fly swatters. Um, <laughs> we, we actually have a sister organization. It's an international organization. It's a brewery collectibles world club. And they have conventions every two years. We had one in Slovakia. That would be cool to go. Yeah. To. We had one cool in Argentina see. a few months ago and it's, you know, you, where else can you just drink beer for three days and make friends with someone that doesn't have a common language? Right, right. Beer well, is the common language. But that's a, that's what's you know there. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But that's that's the thing that gets me so excited about beer and about this drinking culture, whatever that is, is that that commonality of it. You can walk into any city and 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 anywhere in the world really and sit down and just have a drink with somebody. And even if you got you can't communicate. You can like you have that that commonality. And again, it's a whole different conversation, but it's a, um, I guess something about this hobby kind of ties into that. Even if you weren't sitting around drinking beer, like just the fact that it's it, it revolves around this beer industry. There, it, there's those veins of that camaraderie kind of go there. Every collector has his own unique story or her unique story. Some people are into it because their father worked for the can company and they were into right. the art. Some people brewed beer. Me personally, I had a paper route when I was 12 years old, and I'd pick these empty beer cans up in the fraternity yards at the university. Right. You know, you make the pyramid in your basement, and it's like, oh, there's a Pabst can in a Miller. Well, then lo and behold, there's hundreds and thousands. So it's it's whatever you want it to be. So right. it's a great hobby, and it's a great way to meet interesting people. I was talking to somebody the other day when I was at work and um, somehow the topic of beer can collecting came up um, ironically enough with the this, this show coming up and um, he was talking about when he first started collecting cans. He's like, you know, we would, we would ride our bikes. We, we started kind of collecting cans that we would find. And then we started riding our bikes down to the, uh, to the, the stadium because after, you know, a football game or something like that, you could go in the parking lot and there were all kinds of really fun cans because people would bring their beer with them. They came from out of town to go see the game and you never knew what kind of beer they were bringing from home. Cause you know, there were lots of great regional breweries then. And um, it's just, it's really neat to see those roads for people. What about you, Dave? Oh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it was, well, I'm pretty be, sure Dave was born in a brewery or something. I don't <laughs> the, the summer between the third and fourth grade, my, my oldest sister, brought me home a PAP 7-ounce beer can. And it was sitting there when I came down for breakfast in the morning. And I said, what's that? And she says, it's a beer can from uh, where I was last night. I was at a house, and the dad collects beer cans, and he has them on both sides of the I-beam in the basement in the garage. And I thought, well, we've got one of those big I-beams in our basement. That would be awesome. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I could just get a few, you know, and put them on there and stuff. But, you know, the first time I put a couple on there, mom took them off and there they were in the garbage can between the washer and the dryer. And I said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm throwing these out. And I said, that's my beer can collection. No, you're not. You know, and I had many of those battles with the family. Being one of six, the good thing was I was the only serious collector. So I kind of Soon I owned the basement, so to right. speak. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and it was fun because then my my brothers and sisters would bring their friends over, and they were like, "Oh, we love your basement." You know, it's like nobody else has one with all that beer stuff all over the place, and and they were all respective of it and that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I, lots of my friends who collected when we were in grade school and early into high school, and that most of them when they went away to college or. Started a family and that absolutely, you know, that went, went out, out the window right. and they never looked back. But I was someone who never did. My oldest friend 
Tim Holian, who wrote a number of books uh, about Cincinnati brewing history. He and I were friends since nursery school. When he saw I was collecting these, he started. And to this day, you know, he and I still collect the stuff. We've never looked back. And, you know, I've been to all 50 states visiting breweries, collecting beer things, been all over Europe and Canada. And it's just, you know, how cool is that to have those life experiences all from the hobby because a lot of people is, that are like, what, is collecting what got you into beer then collecting is what got me into That's beer crazy. i was like well you know i'm gonna have to make a living somehow or another and so you know when i was in grade school i used to in the summer i would follow the beer truck drivers to the local stores and they would bring me sometimes cardboard signs every now and then a mirror or a tap handle or something. So I would get other things. They wouldn't give me cans because they had beer in them. And obviously I wasn't <laughs> 21, but they could bring me collectibles. So right. I was one of the few collectors of cans that also had other things. And when I started getting a couple of tap handles, that was one of the things my dad really liked. So as he would do some traveling around, he wouldn't bring me back a new beer can. He would talk the bar out of one of the tap handles, and he'd bring me a tap handle. So that was one of the things he liked to have on display behind the bar in the basement and that, because that was something that he really thought was cool and unique from that standpoint. But, you know, the whole family, you know, they can't help but know a lot about the beer business because <laughs> the passion that I had even right. from the, you know, the fourth grade on out, you know, it's kind of infectious. So I had to make sure. One of my favorite things, I I'm a sucker for people's home bars. I love seeing how people kind of fit a bar into their house and what that assumes its own personality based on the person. But um, people who do collect things like that, be it beer cans or tap handles or whatever it is, seeing how they integrate that into their, their bar space or their basement or their man cave or whatever to seeing those ways that people do that to me is almost just as fun as the collecting itself. Like just the way you then display that collection. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that Doug and I like to do when we travel around to different shows for board meetings or just, you know, it's a good famous show. We like to get there and see the show and stuff. A lot of times they'll have home tours leading up to it or on the last day or whatever. So that's really awesome. He and I have seen some awesome collections around the country and it's so much fun to see how people display it. And, you know, somebody may only have a 10 by 10 room, but in that 10 by 10 room, not only are there some awesome, valuable things, but there's just some really cool eye candy there of, you know, some of the things that they collect. And it might just be, I'm in Arizona. I only collect things from Arizona and there weren't a lot of breweries in Arizona, right? but you know, so once you get all the common stuff, everything after that multiplies in value as far as, you know, so to fill a 10 by 10 room of just that one state that didn't have a lot of breweries, there's, there's a lot of Jack involved sometimes to do that. <laughs> so. It's, it's, it's just, it's really cool to me. It's, um, when I, I, I want to say it's like a, like a lost kind of, a hobby almost, but I I don't even know that that's true. I think that people don't um, people don't necessarily realize now that they're doing that almost that they're getting into this hobby. Like you, you get craft beer drinkers that are my age or, or whatever that you know uh, fall in love with this thing happening locally, and they start grabbing glassware from whatever that brewery is that they that they they frequent every week, and then all of a sudden they have a shelf, and then they have a cabinet, and then they have a room, and like all you start to see this all of a sudden like. You're a collector and you didn't know that you were becoming that. And like, that's, but it's, um, maybe, maybe the, for me, um, the, the, the previous generations who were collectors knew that that's what they were getting into that they knew that that's what they were doing. Whereas now I think people are kind of getting into it in a sneaky kind of way or something. I don't know. Well, I think some of that goes back to shows like hoarders and stuff <laughs> like that, where, where people think that if you save, you know, six beer glasses or six beer cans yeah. or some coasters or whatever that, you, you know, w w within two years, you know, you're going to have stacks of old newspapers falling over and killing you in the basement. Well, and, and, you know, some, it, some days I feel like that might happen, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you, you have to have some controls and, and that kind of stuff. But we've seen that in our hobby where we've seen collectors amass amazing collections and then all of a sudden they decide, you know, I just want to specialize in maybe this size beer can or I want to collect tap handles or beer glasses or bottle openers. And essentially they downsize. Right. And so 
when that stuff that they collected comes up for for sale and trade and that you know there there's a feeding frenzy with, with a number of collectors that knew what they had and collected and stuff but so you sort of go through a, a you know a cycle where you know you, you reach a peak where you know you really have collected a, a mass of things and then you decide you know all right i'm no longer saving this you know and you sort of staircase right. back down just because number one you either don't have the room or what am i going to do with all of this stuff at one point in time well and that question of what am i going to do with this is i think a real one for a lot of people but there also aren't a lot of places that we can go to see this collection idea like you there's lots of other collections that are um prominently displayed at places or you know it'd be at a museum that you can go to and like there isn't really a lot of and correct me if i'm wrong because maybe there is that i just don't know about but there's a couple there, there's two actually in wisconsin there's one at the potosi brewery in potosi wisconsin and there's a really awesome one in monroe wisconsin inside the the huber the, the minhas brewing company and that was put together as the second collection by the couple that had the one that used to be at Oldenburg. Right. And so once the Oldenburg collection was sold to Miller and broken up, this collection that they had amassed, why they had their stuff at Oldenburg and continued to collect in that, that second collection went on to become on display at Minhaus. And it, it's an awesome way, way to see it. And I, you know, people have always asked me, you know, what are you going to do with all your stuff? And I always joke, well, when I retire, maybe I'll open the, the Bruseum or the, the Sipsonian, you, you know, and it'll be a place where everybody <laughs> it would be can cool, come. Though. And- like you can, you can walk up to the bar, get yourself a beer and just kind of walk around. Yeah. Uh, on a smaller scale, there's a couple local places that have something I mean, of interest down at the Christian Moorline Tap Room. Yeah. The, the old gift shop is now a museum of sorts. Carl and a few other people yeah. do a great job of, you know, putting together some history in the Cincinnati breweries. And there's trays and That's cans and, and stations. Yeah. Letterheads, you name and, it. And even like. Uh, Wiedemann does a pretty Her- good Herb job of displaying some stuff too. Right. Her- Herb and Thelma's. Joe's not really a collector, but. You know, he's got some really awesome stuff from all the, the years in history of that. And you've got the Dunlap, Dunlap Cafe. Yeah. Terry's, by Ryan Terry's, what used to be Terry's Turf Club, which is now the Turf Club. Yeah. You know, they got all those neon signs. And of course, one of the coolest places we have, and we're lucky here, is the Sign Museum. That's yeah. an awesome place, place if you haven't yeah. been there. If, nobody, if there's anybody that has not been to the Sign Museum, get there go there for something because it is just such a neat place to walk around and look at so and it's not all it's not all beer stuff obviously but it is um, oh it's it's, it's set you walk through the past it's, <laughs> it it's is, really it's, awesome it's really I, I've cool i've seen displays in airport terminals I, in fact at the kenton county courthouse in Covington. yeah for the bavarian yeah uh when they redid the facility there uh, one of our collectors was very instrumental in helping come up with stuff on display there and they've got a nice historical oh, that's cool I haven't Section been in there since, I, up, since uh, I finished it, but it, it's right inside the front door. It's open till five o'clock every day when the when the courthouse is open. That's cool. It, um, I I hope that people like you guys and things like that can start to take some of these people that maybe are just kind of casual collectors now because of the craft beer thing and get them more interested in some of this historical stuff for lots of different reasons. But I I just, it's such a neat hobby and it's such a neat way to kind of tie all of the stuff that we're doing now with, with beer into the stuff that has been going on forever. And the friends that Doug and I have all around the the world, we shouldn't know South Africans and Australians and Argentinians and Germans and Danes and people from every state in the U S as well as we do. But it's it's from the the hobby. It, it you know we, we love adding something to our collection. But we've been doing it so long, it, you know it's fun to meet a new, uh, make a new friend in, in this hobby, and and th- that's that's been a lot of fun as well. Knowing the you know the the characters and the people that you know have collected stuff before us or currently, it's awesome when you meet somebody that's half your age that's collecting and serious about it and you want to sort of mold them and help them along and stuff right. because it's it, it's really a you know a cool thing to kind of mentor them like some of the collectors did for us and kind of steer us and help us you know make sure we weren't number one getting ripped off but at the same time sort of educate us on you know what makes this can what it is or you know why is this coaster rare and this one's common and that kind of stuff it's just just good fun to to have that knowledge 
because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong with, especially with beer cans or coasters or things like that. A lot of them aren't really worth quote unquote worth anything. There were a ton of them. Correct. I, I fund my retirement every year with, <laughs> with cold, hard cash. I, I'm not going to retire on my collection that I have. It's, it was ne- never meant to, to be that, but the wealth that I have from knowledge and friends and travels and experiences, you know, they, they always tell you that, you know, millennials love experiences, you, you know, the experiences that I've got to have in beer are, you know, a- absolutely amazing. And, the things that are sort of offshoots, you know, one of the funny stories that p- people wouldn't expect is I-, I want a trip selling Fuller's beer to go see the Pittsburgh Steelers play the Minnesota Vikings in Wembley Arena. So I get to go see an NFL game from selling beer all for my passion of that. And I'm sitting in the Atlanta airport. It's like you're playing a joke on people. That are, you know, <laughs> and I'm sitting in the Atlanta airport getting ready to, to board the plane in about an hour to go to London. And who happens past me but Robert Plant. And I spent a half an hour speaking to Robert Plant. And unbeknownst to me, one of the breweries that I had mapped out that I wanted to go visit in London, his son, Logan, was the head brewer and one of the oh, founders cool. of it. And I think the reason I got a half an hour of Robert Plant's time is because he was like, this guy doesn't even care about all my Led Zeppelin past or whatever. <laughs> We're just a couple of blokes chatting in the airport. And I think that's what he really liked because I wasn't asking all the undermining reasons or secrets of right. Led Zeppelin. He just was you know, chewing the fat with me about beer. And it was something that was passionate to him because of his son. And he recommended that I try the the neck oil. And I said, well, what's the neck oil? And he said, well, he said, it's a tribute to my father. He said, because all while I was on tour, my father always told my son that if he wanted to gain my respect, he had to show that he wasn't afraid to break a little neck oil. He said, if my father saw my son make a name for himself and break some neck oil, then he would gain the respect of my father. So in tribute to his grandfather, he named his black IPA neck oil. And, you know, just, but, you know, all this came from the fact of, you know, people like, well, I want to have an experience. Well, through a hobby like this, we've accidentally had some incredible experiences He's been all over the world as well with some great, great adventures and stuff. And it all because we collect these beer memorabilia. I, I think that that's um, that idea of even just drinking in general being very experience related is something that I don't think a lot of people and maybe they do get it more than 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 I'm giving them credit for. But, you know, that's that's the reason that we like tap rooms. It's not because you can get a beer close to you. You can get a beer close. You can go down. You know, I can walk over to Jungle Gyms and grab a beer. I can go, you know, I can walk down to any, you know, corner store and, and get beer. It's it's that experience and that sitting down with people and connecting with people and like that's what makes this whole thing so fun and like uh, i think that just in drinking in general it's it's all about that experience that you're having around that like the, the actual liquid it's important but it's not not that important compared to all the other stuff and as you see people kind of start to uh to get that uh, it's it's really really exciting and it's really fun for me at least you know just um it's what I love about this. But, you know, in, in a really cool way for people to come and sort of get a sampling of what the hobby's about and stuff would be to attend the the Luck of the Irish, the, the mini convention Look that we that host transition. every year <laughs> at, at the Radisson uh, in Covington, the, 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 the big beer can that sticks up alongside the river there right. along, <laughs> along the Interstate 75. And uh, the, uh, on Saturday... Uh, Saturday, March the 21st, we're having our public show, and this is an awesome way to see about 100 collectors set up on about 200 six-foot tables all throughout the ballroom of the Radisson, and we'll have our different you know, pieces of memorabilia, things that you can decorate your man cave with, and things that you can sort of start up a, a collection with, people you can come by and meet and understand and learn about some of the past history 
of Cincinnati breweries, uh, a lot of current history. There's a lot of collectors that have really gotten into the craft cans. You, you don't need, you know, lottery winnings to get started in this hobby. Right. You, you know, you have beer cans that you've emptied from something you bought at UDF or Kroger, and, you know, you're, you're enjoying Save the cans, and you know you'll notice there's lots of other collectors that are doing that. Uh, you go to the tap room, and they have coasters. You know, it doesn't take long to all of a sudden have a hundred different coasters <laughs> and bring some duplicates and trade them with the collectors that are that are there and stuff. So it's really an awesome hobby that you can enter really at at, at no real investment. And I think a lot of people are scared that you know because none of us started out with. This, you know, 200,000 piece collection that somebody willed us, we all worked our way into it. It all started, you know, started with a seven ounce Pabst beer can for me. I think it started with an empty Pabst can at the yard of the fraternity at five in the morning. <laughs> well, just, just find something that interests you about it, too. Like, if you really want to just dive in, just dive in, find something. I know people that don't. This is hard to believe. They don't drink beer, but they just love the artwork of some of the new cans. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, oh, it's just incredible. Some people are into the skulls. Some people are into the snakes. Some people are into the mute. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's whatever you want it to be. Well, in the, in the names, I mean, one of the one of my favorite things is punography, <laughs> and so it's always awesome to see how they've spun a name. You know, and had a lot of fun with that. And there's a lot of tongue in cheek, you know, names with the with the craft beers, and it's kind of fun because you know the big stodgy world brewers can't seem to really come across <laughs> with this, you know. But then at the same time, you know, Guinness has been around since 1759. And there's nothing more iconic than the toucan with a pint of Guinness on his bill. You, you know, that that's such an awesome, iconic symbol and sign, you know, r- r- right there. And, you know, I love um, when you have somebody that has a, a good, thorough collection and you can sit there and you can see the story of a brewery through their through their their labeling and through their their branding and that stuff. And you see it shift and change over time. It's I love that side of it, too, like just being able to have that visual representation of um, somebody's somebody's livelihood, somebody's passion, somebody's their thing, their brewery. This is them, you know, and you see how it's shifted and changed over time. And like it's. It's fun. It really oh, yeah. is fun. Well, one of our one of our longtime members, his uh, his mother was a Shaneling, and so he has probably the best Shaneling collection in the uh, in the region. And he absolutely has just some awesome one of a kind, a very unique Shaneling stuff, and just an awesome guy to go out and see it. You know, let him walk you through it and tell you the different stories in that because every every piece on that wall has a has a story and a memory about it. Yeah. You know that's the fun when you get to do that. So the uh, the show is uh, the weekend after St. Patrick's Day. Correct. Um, you can get tickets on your website. I'm assuming you, there's probably a link on Facebook. Yeah, there's there's a um, there's a Queen City Chapter Facebook link. Pay at the door. It's only five dollar admission. And it's you know even if like. Like I said, even if you don't think you're a collector, um, you might surprise yourself when you go there and then you see something like, oh, I have that. And you see, oh, I, I have. Oh, wait a minute. I think I'm a collector. Right. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a lot of that. Oh, my uncle has a bunch of that in the attic. Yeah. Or I have some mirrors like that. Or I remember going with my parents to Traverse City one summer. It's 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 hard to explain, really. You think. Dave and I would Dave, the most interesting man in the world. But <laughs> it's hard to put a pin on it. You know? But and even if you're you're going there and you aren't buying or selling or trading anything, just to go there and just like we talked about that museum idea of being able to see that stuff, being able to just see it all spread out in front of you and see these people that are passionate about it and talk to people and um, th- there's something really special about it that uh, until you get that chance to experience it, I think it's hard to to put into words. Um, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about craft beer. Uh, what is getting you guys excited right now about what's happening in Cincinnati? So there's I, a lot going on. <laughs> oh, there, there, there absolutely is. And you know, the, the fun thing is to right now, because you know, the, the markets mature in a sense of, you know, it, we're not opening as many new breweries per, per month and per year as we were and stuff like that. And it's kind of leveled off from a standpoint of 
where are we going to fall in in the category overall? And it's really kind of fun to see how somebody like uh, Little Miami Brewing Company in Milford or Narrow Path or something, these guys aren't going to grow much beyond the piece of real estate where they are with their beer. They're not looking to distribute. They're not looking to be on all the store shelves. They're looking to make some awesome product and hang right in there. Then you go from from that level and you go to some that are only doing limited releases at their location, like like a Listerman, Mm -hmm. where pretty much, you know, Listerman and Streetside are realizing that for us to get our product out the door, we're probably not ready to go to the distribution level and get the fleet of trucks and all that, but let's get our product out there. So they're doing these limited releases and they have some everyday stuff that's available in that. And then you you go from there and you get into places like like a Carrican that is kind of all things for, for everybody. They're making alcoholic <laughs> sodas. They're making ciders. The spirits, they're doing beer. They're canning their beer now along with some of their spirit items and stuff. So, you know, they're going to get a niche into a bar and a counter or whatever because maybe they carry their spirits or maybe they're doing something with their beer. You know, so there's a number of ways from that standpoint. And then from there, you jump into your your Tafts, your Mad Trees, your 50 West, your, your Rheingeist, where, you know, they fully have laid it down and they're, they're going after the distribution and fighting it for the shelf space and all of that. And, you know, and that's really you know sort of the, the the mature brewers that are that are doing that because they've they've done a lot of homework to get them to that level right. doesn't mean that some of the ones that are you know not looking to go beyond their piece of real estate aren't going to do that but you know they will you, you know or maybe that's all they want to do and there's nothing wrong with that because you, you know depending on your business plan you you can make money at that size operation, or you could make money at the Rhine guy size right. in, in between. But the other thing I like is you've got Moreline, who has that incredible history in, in that that whole just library of some of those brands, you know, like Little Kings and you know 14K and Hootie Delight and stuff like that, which are you know. Beers that still have, you know, not just love in the west side, but love in other parts of the city and stuff. We did an event last week, and we had five cases of Little King (laughs) seven-ounce bottles. And we hadn't blown a keg yet, but we were out of the five cases of Little (laughs) Kings because so many people would come up, and they'd look in the tub, and, is that Little Kings? Yeah. Oh, let me have one of those. It's been so long and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, there were a lot of these people just reaching back for, for memories and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, the respect that Moreline gets and deserves is because they salvaged a lot of those brands that would have just completely gone by the, the, the wayside in that. And it's been fun to watch some of the things that Moreline has done where, you know, they're still making those those original brands but you know they've come out with some awesome stuff. Like right now, I think their Power Stoutage is out. Oh, yeah. You know, which is an awesome, you know, awesome stout. You know, the Dead of Winter, really a nice beer. And you know, they've done the Strawberry Pig. You know, they just have have really done a lot of really cool and interesting things. They made the Geta beer last year, which was which was so much fun. You know, I loved that. There was beer. no Geta in the beer, <laughs> I have one but you know, it's so good. So you know, what a cool local tribute to be able right. to. You know, Braxton has made a, a number of Graders ice cream themed beers and stuff, but to, but to think, you know, nobody's made a beer to go with Geta. You know, Taft's makes one with Gold Star, which is, you know, to, to, to go along with the Cheese Coney and stuff. Right. You know, that's so Cincinnati, and, and you need to do some of that. So I think that's the thing that the competition brings is that creativeness because you're not going to win at everything that you throw against the wall. But the fact that there are the number of breweries in the area and they all are at different levels, right. you, you know, they're going to keep bringing – new and exotic and different things. And, 
you know, every week it seems like, okay, I didn't see that coming. Or, you know, wow, what a great <laughs> tribute to, you know, a Cincinnati tradition like Geta. If if every once in a while you don't say, you did what? Then <laughs> then we're doing something wrong. I think that you need some of that stuff that, like, just kind of surprises you. The, uh, um, the In the last year or so, there's been a couple of uh, Sherbert or Sherbet beers um, that came out that kind of caught me off guard that I'm like, yeah, that, that doesn't, I don't think I'd want that in a beer. And then you try one, it's like, oh my God, that's the, mo- that's the most delicious thing ever. You know, it's just that stuff that just kind of catches you completely off guard and kind of surprises you that makes it fun. What are we missing right now? So we've got, you know, we have this wide range. We've got everything from Rheingeist all the way down to Fibonacci as far as sized breweries go. You've got people making there's breweries that are only making sour beer. There's people making fantastic lagers, great happy IPAs. Is there something that we're missing as a city that would kind of push us to another level? I, I think that's really one of the cool things uh, about this. Last last August, Doug and I hosted the National Association of Breweriana Advertising Annual Convention, and w- we started a bus tour. Then the bus tour was going to hold 55 people, and we thought, okay, we could probably sell 55 tickets. Let's sell 50 tickets, and the five of us that are organizing this thing, we'll each get a seat on the bus there. The bus is full. It'll work. We filled two full buses, and we had a minivan that followed behind each one of the buses with the, with the ones that still wanted to be a part of the, the, the tour in that. And those people went away just cheering for this city and how much fun it was. I had a number of collectors come in the Friday before, and I got them to almost every brewing operation in the city in that that five-day period leading up to the convention. So we were doing 10 breweries a day, and we, did, we didn't do some of the ones that we did on the bus tour and whatever, but we, we really knocked a lot of them off. And people were absolutely amazed at the depth of the city's beer scene that we really have going on here. And, you know, you go to Milwaukee, they have an awesome scene with that history like Cincinnati does, St. Louis as well. Very cool because both of those cities have done the same thing Cincinnati has, and they've embraced the history. You know, like Brian Geis is in an old Moorline building, and some of the others are in old brewery buildings like uh, Moorline is in Kaufman. Very cool to see that stuff, and you see that in some of those other cities. But... When you go to somebody like a, a Denver or a Phoenix or a, a, a Seattle that really didn't have old brewing structures per se, you, you know, from the turn of the last century, they've been able to come in w- with all of this new modern stuff since the late 80s and all of these brands. And, and they have lager breweries. They have ones only making sours. These guys only do barrel aging, you, you know, it, it, and and all of a sudden you step back and you're like, wow, Cincinnati has checked every one of those boxes. Right. It, it, you know, it, that's really fun to see that we have a city that has that kind of a beer scene. And really it's been within the last five to seven years that that's really come together. And, and that's cool. I mean, you know, when, when Hopra House opened, this was a lager town. This always was a lager town. Now, obviously, a lot more ale is sold on the craft beer scene than lagers, but you can't forget those that are still making great, great lagers. And if you look, you know, Rheingeist makes good lagers when they decide to do a lager. Moorline's turning out great lagers at all times. It's not just the Hopra house making lagers. The sprockets that we had from Gravely. Spot on exactly what you'd what you'd expect. There's been some smaller breweries that like I'll walk into and oh you guys made a lager and you don't expect that much out of it. You're like, okay, that's fun. And then you try and wow, this is really good. <laughs> and it's just it catches again, it catches you off guard and it's um it, it's surprising that uh, the level of talent maybe the uh um the interest maybe more to, 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 to try things like that. Cause you don't need to, especially if you're a smaller neighborhood kind of place, you can just, you know, throw a, uh, a good IPA on and a, and a stout and whatever, and people will be happy and people come there and they'll drink your beer and they'll all be fine. 
but to put yourself into this other category and push yourself into um, this next level of what it means to be a brewery, especially a brewery here in Cincinnati, is um, it's it's really cool to see people putting themselves out there like that. Well, look at what Mike and Kathleen Dewey did with Mount Carmel. Yeah, you know they're not going to put a canning line in. You know their their product is available on the shelf in, in bottles. But they realized that they had that really awesome setting of that house, and they built the carriage house next to it, and they've landscaped it with the oh, lake and everything and stuff. Now. That is an awesome place to go have a couple of pints some evening. I mean, th- th- that's an awesome setup that they have, and they continue to to you know pull out awesome stuff. They just did the the maple brown ale uh, last week that they brought out with you know so you know the. the the new guys woke up the, the the original guys, and the original guys are showing them. Well, we still know how to do it too, right. and that's really fun to see that sort of tete to tete, if you will. It's it's cool. People talk about a lot about how they're the the. The competition within craft brewing is different than the competition in other industries because you can't say that there isn't competition from one place to another because there is, but it's it's different. It's everybody kind of. Everybody's, I guess, happier about it, friendlier about it. Uh, they're they're pushing themselves and and each other to do better, more creative things. They still collaborate with each other. They still hang out together. They still like there still is this underlying friendship behind the whole industry that uh, um, it's it's just such a neat thing to be um, even you know uh, on the outskirts of watching you know and seeing how that is and how it's different than like I said any other industry that I know of. And the competition is is healthy. You, you know, if, if it came down to there was just one local brewery here left, they have no reason to really be unique or sexy or or, or cutting edge right. or anything and stuff. It's like take it or leave it kind of a deal. And that's why I was so excited when the craft beer movement happened back in the early 80s because that's what it was coming down to. I mean, globally, there's five brewing entities that pretty much control about 92% of, of all the beer we consume in the world, you know, between the InBevs and Heineken and Carlsberg and, and those guys. I mean, that's that, that, that they control lots of labels all around the world. And, you know, had that continued and that's all we would have had, it would have been hard to tell the difference between the beer aisle and the Velveeta cheese section because it would have just been all homogenized down to, okay, the tasting panels have spoken and this is this is what we know you like as a consumer because 100 people hit that button in the in the tasting panel. Well, and we got close to that. We I did. Mean, it, it, you, if you just look, you know, just speaking of Cincinnati, like it, there was – there was a, a period of time there in the in the what the, the early nineties maybe uh, mid nineties where it was it was gone everybody was gone it was you know uh, as Hudipole Shandling was was closing that was it you, know, yeah. and you had Sam Adams that kind of kept things rolling for um, for the time being and then and he then, hadn't even purchased it yet at that point in time. when Oldenburg opened it was the 23rd crappery to open in the US in the movement and it was it was that new and in the infancy and you had to go to Kalamazoo Michigan or a little rock Arkansas to find another craft brewery in the region. The, the the amount of breweries that I can stop and visit between Cincinnati and Kalamazoo, Michigan, or Cincinnati and Little Rock, Arkansas, is, you know, you go into Michigan to Kalamazoo, I'm probably going to get to 150 breweries between here and there. From here to Little Rock, which is twice as far, I probably am going to get to 100 yeah. breweries. And it's just fascinating how, you know, the, the population of all of that really happened. It's, and we've seen it with everything. It's coffee and all of that stuff. People people aren't aren't gluttons for one particular item. They, they Just like the experiences, they want to experience the unique and different and cutting-edge beers or, you know, some well-made beer from this little tiny guy or look at what these guys have done. This is this is new. And, you know, we, we see it in all kinds of things. 
pickles. You know, there, there's there's gourmet and craft pickle companies. But it, you know? it almost seems like there is like in in almost all of the things that you're saying, it seems like there is this this period of time, and I'm sure it existed in the pickle industry where all there was was Velasic or whoever it was. Not yeah. and I shouldn't use that because those are fantastic pickles too. But um, you know where it dominates everything, and then all of a sudden, somewhere along that line, there's just somebody that has a little spark, and they're like. Wait a minute. Where'd our pickles go? Like, where, 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 where's all the good pickles? We need some better pickles. And then they start making their pickles. And like, it seems like that with all of these industries that are now have this, this cool underground or underground's probably not even the right word, but this, this craft thing happening, it's because it became, uh, this homogenized kind of machine of that, that product. Yeah. For for some period of time. It's ironic that in all these little cottage industries, there's not craft cottage cheese. <laughs> I guarantee somewhere there is a craft cottage <laughs> cheese maker. <laughs> I guarantee it. Um, we haven't been talking about any of the beer that we've been drinking either. We need to talk about some of these. Um, we had a couple couple low calorie IPAs, which is a whole show within itself that I need to do one of these days now that, uh, it's taking over the world. <laughs> um, well, and this, this really, this came about for a couple, couple of reasons. Uh, number one, a lot of the brewers in these breweries didn't want to f- finish their day and then go have their shift beer and maybe another one. And they're drinking, you know, an eight and a half for a, a 12% IPA or an Imperial stout or whatever and stuff. They wanted to just have some beer, so so to speak, and then the the seltzer craze, the White Claw, you, you know, factor came in, and all of a sudden these breweries realized it's the hundred calorie, and you go to the snack aisle and there's little packs of hundred calorie cookies and <laughs> right. pretzels and all of that, and they're like, there's something here, there's something going on, and so they went back to the to the you know to the brew house and they realized you know we can make some hundred calorie beers and stuff and i think this is going to absolutely find a niche and you know and there'll, there'll be some winners there'll be some some failures of course but this will be something that'll be here to stay because if you want to come home and just have a beer like after mowing grass you know, you don't want to reach into your fridge and, and drink a dragon's milk. <laughs> well, <you know? laughs> well, even some of those, there are some some pretty big IPAs that do go down really easy after you get on cutting the grass. But then you stand up and you're, oh shit, I drank that way too quick, you know, and it's, it catches you off guard. And these these truth don't is seven point two percent, and you don't think yeah, that you can and, you can you know, knock a couple of truths back really quickly. And you're like, that was delicious, <laughs> but my god, <laughs> or even some of uh, some of the the big uh, Midwest fruit tarts from urban artifact they're they're big and they're fruity and like it, it tastes like you're drinking juice and then you're like oh that's that's eight percent you know it, it's uh it, i the thing that's weird to me is the marketing of the calories and and maybe it's just me because i i don't shop for beer based on the calories but this is their their session ipas it's the stuff that people have been making for for a while now it's just marketed with this calorie thing and it's it's a it's a strange kind of new world i think for beer saying oh hey you know we can we, we can be healthy ish too you know like you know it uh it's it's what happened in the late 70s and the in the early 80s with the national brands with, with their light beer you know the first first local light beer we had here was hootie delight right. still around you know, you can still buy Hootie Delight all the way back from 1978 when it started. So it, it's it's really fun to see, you know, this whole category coming around again. Because everything you have to realize is those Hootie Delight drinkers were 20 years drinking regular yellow beer. Right. And now they're getting on in their age and their metabolism doesn't eat as often <laughs> as it used to. And all, all of a sudden, you know, they've gone through this change where, you know, they have the furniture disease where your chest falls into your drawers. And so what has to happen is, okay, I need to look at my diet. What am I doing different and whatever? Well, it's that 20 years of drinking craft beer. And now they're looking back and saying, you know, I, I can't keep drinking 
7.2% IPAs right. every night when I get home. I need something that's going to, you know, going to reward me with flavor, but it's not going to be something that, I, you know, a minute on the lips forever on the hips kind of a deal, <laughs> you know. I still, I still think I, I, for me, if, if that is my thinking when I'm reaching into the fridge, I'm still leaning towards like a good English mild or something like that. I'm pretty sure that that's pretty low in calories too, the same way that any of these are, but, um, I don't know. It's a strange, strange new world, <laughs> Oh, it, it, I'm, but I'm also never going to be that guy that opens the fridge and reaches for, you know, a, a seltzer or a white claw or instead of a beer, like I still just want a beer. So I mean, maybe, maybe there's something to it. I, I don't know. <laughs> Someone else could be Seltzer Steve. That won't be me. I'll, I'm going to remain Beer Dave. <laughs> Seltzer Steve. You're, you just, uh, there's going to be a Twitter handle next week from somebody. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Um, I don't know that anybody is as passionate about Seltzer in the way that people are passionate about beer. Like uh, that, that passion isn't there. It's just a, uh, it's a filler. It's that thing that like, oh, I just need a drink. I'll, oh, I'll take that. It's not like people aren't getting excited about their seltzer. They're not like, oh, did you see this new flavor? This one is mango and dragon fruit. <laughs> like right. you don't have that excitement around it. <laughs> I'm sure at paint conventions, they're not standing around studying various <laughs> hues of eggshell. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, uh, maybe the cottage cheese convention. <laughs> Um, do you want to crack another one open here before we sure. uh, wrap things up? Let's do the power cord, the West Coast IPA. There from we Bradley. go. Um, I am really digging those grave can, gravely cans too. Um, it's the so anybody who's talked to any craft brewer about the uh, trials and tribulations of trying to can your beer knows that ordering cans is a pain in the ass. If you want printed cans, you have to buy a ton of them to get them. So a lot of breweries are going with um, just labels kind of slapped on blank cans and stuff like that. Um, we've seen locally a couple of breweries kind of go with the same idea too, where they have a printed can, but then on top of that is a, a label. So it's kind of a combination of the two to give it its own kind of distinct personality. Um, think of the, the blank slate cans, the eight ball cans, um, that kind of idea where it's, it's, it's a mixture and I'm, I'm liking the way they've done it here. There's, um, a lot going on on that background of the can. Kind of like Blank Slate when you sit there and you would look at them and you start to see new things in there. And yeah, kind of like the Highlights magazine where you find the comb and the toothbrush in the trunk of the tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another fourth grade reference. <laughs> oh, this one's nice. Maybe this one probably is going to taste a whole lot better too after of that low calorie IPA. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I spread them out the way we did because they've got the the hazy. We've got oh, a hazy yeah. IPA, and then we've got the West Coast here. So two oh, yeah. good styles. Yeah, that's good. What's this one called? This is the uh, power cord. Power cord, which y you need to play music. <laughs> well, I, fire up know, the podcast. The, you know. the, the sprockets and power cord, and what's the other one called? Debaser. Debaser. I mean, it's it's just a really neat kind of kind of brand, and um, you you can you can tell that there's a personal story behind it. I mean, there's not to say that there's not, you know, you, a Rheingeist or whoever it is that there's a brand there and it's, it may be a little more separated from the people involved, but um, there's, there, there's pluses and minuses, I guess, to all of these different brands that people come up with. But um, I like the ones that you look at it and it's like, yeah, you can tell that that is, that is that, that, that's somebody that is somebody's story and somebody's thing that they, you know, when they were trying to, maybe it wasn't even like a, um, yeah, I need to sit here and, you know, come up with this really, really thoughtful brand. It was just, this is who I am. This is what this project is. You know, it's I I don't know. It's, um, there, there's something about that, that, that kind of pulls me in. Probably well, it's kind heavier. of fun. Yeah. Channel 5 News always is, you know, local connection or whatever and stuff. Nathaniel Gravely, one of the founders of the brewery, he grew up in the in northern Kentucky, in Kenton County. It's where he went to school and everything. So it's kind of fun to, you, you know, make everyone aware that even though it's a brewery in Louisville, there is an absolute local connection to this because, you know, always everybody wants to know anymore, you know, how hyper-local can we make it, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so there there truly is a Cincinnati area connection. 
to it. So, you know, in keeping with those that are honed into, you know, well, how local is it? That's that's kind of fun that, you know, the founders from Kenton County. Well, I think there's still, you know, I spend a lot of time consuming local beer because I'm, I'm always trying to stay up on all the stuff that's happening. And then that's great. And that's fun. But there is a lot of value to and every once in a while kind of drifting outside of that and seeing what is going on in this other city or going on here. Let me let me try what other people are doing as far as uh, New England IPA or low calorie IPA or, you know, whatever it is, just to just to, to, to see where we're at in this bigger picture. And there, you know, it's easy to uh, to to get caught up in what your your local spot is. And sometimes you don't even have to. You don't even have to go a region away. Right. It, I work in Franklin, Ohio, and in the course of my job today, I passed three breweries. You know, I went by Rivertown, then yeah. I went by Rolling Mill in Middletown and Fig Leaf, and, and and even just that far away, things are a little bit different. Oh, absolutely, and you know, we we've had four different IPAs today, and all four of them are are completely different. Each one of the hundred calorie IPAs is different. Of course, the West Coast and the Hazy are going to be different, but. You know, when they paint with a broad brush and say, well, I don't like IPAs or, you know, I don't like stouts or porters. Some people don't like stouts or porters because of the dark color. And I know I've been out with you a number of times, Doug, and I've said, oh, just try it. And you're like, you know, this is pretty good. I'm liking this. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, I'll have another one of those porters. <laughs> and it, 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 you know, it's just it's all about getting people to understand, you know, from a distance, you know, ooh, I don't like that. Look at that color. Or, or I don't like that. It, it, it smells grapefruity or whatever. Well, you know, I've had people tell me that, you know, well, I can't have IPAs because I'm on statins and I'm not supposed to have grapefruit. Well, there are grapefruit IPAs, but most of the grapefruity citrusiness that you're getting from the IPA is coming from the hops. It's not coming from right. actually uh, grapefruit squeezed into your beer. Or you get those people that, oh, I don't, I don't like IPAs. I don't really like, I don't like the bitterness. And it's like, well, now you've got all of these doing on IPAs out that aren't bitter. You know, it's, it's they're these super fruity kind of soft beers that like it throws this whole wrench into what IPAs you thought they were. You know. Um, Going back to the dark beer thing, we've talked on the show a lot about Schwarz beer and how much we love that style because of that whole kind of mind bending thing of this this dark beer that then you try it and it's like oh this is really easy drinking and this is you know there's there's a whole lot of other things going on here it's not this big dark roasty you know kind of burnt chocolate bitter coffee thing that you know you you're expecting when you look at that color and um again that's part of the fun of beer is that that thing that catches you off guard and kind of surprises you and um, uh, delights you in some way. Like that's that's part of what makes it fun. I love to use Schwarz beers in like a beer dinner or a an education class because Schwarz beer. It's I refer to it as the Merlot because Merlot teaches you to drink red wine because it's that soft red. It's not some big chewy Cabernet, and the Schwarz beer is the same way. And the Kostritzer, the the world's biggest selling. Schwarz beer, their tagline, it's the black beer with the blonde soul. <laughs> and I think that's so awesome because, you know, people see that black beer and they're like, you know, in Guinness, uh, Irish St. Patrick's yeah. Day is coming up and try a Guinness. And I think you'll be amazed. So many people think that beer is so blasted heavy. There's Guinness extra stout and there's Guinness drought. If you get the Guinness drought in the can or the bottle or on draft, it's the same Calories as regular bud, the uh, same viscosity. I mean, it's amazing how similar it is, but it's made with some black malt. And for that reason, people just immediately presume that it's going to taste like a Thanksgiving dinner in a pint glass from a standpoint of flavor and fullness. And it's not. I mean, it's a session beer in Ireland. Well, you've, you've heard a lot of people refer to it as, you know, you know, a meal in a glass and stuff like that. And it's just so far off from what it actually is. Like it's, it's one of those beers that, you know, I was in college, if we were out and we were really getting heavy into, into it at a bar, like that was my go-to because it was, it was, a, it was my session beer. And like, 
people didn't understand that they would be going for something else and you know getting you know three sheets and i i can sit there and i can i can drink that all night it, it goes down easy the low carbonation because it's on nitro and then the low alcohol and man it just you can just sit there and drink it all day long but you wouldn't think that when you look at it <laughs> again it's just so fun everything about it's fun <laughs> um that about does it guys that's a that's an episode that's a that's a show um is there anything we didn't hit on as far as the uh the luck of the irish show that um we need to remind people of just you know it, we haven't had a winner it's not going to be a winner just plan on getting in your car on that saturday and driving down to the the big beer can along the interstate come in and see the show <laughs> and uh the, the facebook page is um what is the uh is it on here yeah, it just says find us on facebook Queens, <laughs> it's just, the it's just, queen city chapter or queen city chapter you can just punch it into the search there and you'll find it and i'll yeah. i'll put links in the show notes too yeah, where you can just click on it and, and uh and take you right there and quick easy fun free parking you'll know somebody there you'll make lots of friends a lot of the brewers come in and you were talking earlier about that. right it's not really a competition. You're trying to support each other and help each other with ideas. And a lot of the people actually come to stuff like this. I will, I will also say the, uh, the queen city chapters website, although it hasn't been updated in a while, has a really, really great, uh, Cincinnati beer history section on it. Um, it's like, taking beer Dave's mind and kind of just shaking some of that information out of it, which by the way, we have to mention too, he's been sitting here at this table and spouting off all of these dates and facts and figures and stuff. And it's all just coming out of his head. <laughs> I cheat and I have notes in front of me on every show. So when, when it sounds like I'm doing that, I'm never it's actually doing that. Iceberg, I'm just, trust <laughs> me. Um, people need to, uh, to respect what that is too. You are a, uh, an absolute treasure to uh, Cincinnati's beer history. And so thank well, you thank for, you. Uh, thank yeah. you for, for storing all of that knowledge in your head for us. <laughs> I just need to get it all out, you know, just so that we've got it. <laughs> Thank you guys. Um, like I said, if anybody wants to know more, go to the website, go to, uh, to Facebook and we'll have notes to, or links to, uh, to all of that in the show notes so that you can find out more because pretty freaking cool stuff. Um, if you, if you mention the show, we'll give you a free VIP admission pass. There we go. Yeah. Uh, everybody likes a good VIP uh, treatment. Um, That's a gnarly inside track. <laughs> if, if you stuck around to the end of the show, you get that. <laughs> Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs>